Thank you for tuning in to the 141st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Wherever you may be, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Host Daryl D. Land, as always, whether you're listening via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, being recorded from Buffalo, New York. We're all still alive. The coronavirus hasn't killed us all yet. Really excited about that. And I have a good interview for all y'all, ladies and gents. We're going to have John Corrales on. He is the host of the Boston Celtic, the Locked On Celtics podcast, and he writes for MassLive.com. Going to give a lot of interesting feedback and material about Jason Tatum, uh, Kyrie Irving leaving Boston, kind of the season for the Boston Celtics up to date before Corona hit the NBA. What he was thinking about because he was covering the NBA before Corona hit, and how you know the cancellation kind of affected him because. The Celtics were one of the teams that Rudy Gobert played and how that kind of affected him. So we go into all that. Really interesting talk. Really appreciate having John on the show. And we're going to talk about that next, coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a special guest with us, John Corrales. He covers the Boston Celtics for Mass Live News, and he's the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Now, the first thing I have to ask you, right, so coronavirus has kind of taken over the landscape of the, the, the sports world and, and the NBA specifically for the purposes of this conversation. So I just want to ask you, where were you when you heard the news of kind of Rudy Gobert? Uh, and what were your thoughts? And and what were your thoughts? Because later that night they canceled the season. Just, just what were your thoughts? Um. So I was I was home, and it's interesting. I, I was supposed to be in Milwaukee, but I screwed up my travel plans. I, I mistakenly thought that my partner on the beat with Mass Live, Tom Westerholm, was doing that. So weeks ago, I was like, you know, uh, can can you take that trip? Because I booked. Uh, a flight home from Indy and I've got some other things that I've, I've already planned for this day and he's like yeah okay that's fine and so as we're ramping up and getting closer in Indiana so I did go to Indiana and that's when things started to get like they started to accelerate very very quickly and on my way home I was telling uh, I was telling my editor like, I, I, I don't feel comfortable anymore doing this. I, I wanna, I'm supposed to go to Memphis for the Celtics-Grizzlies game. I, I, think, I think we should cancel that trip. I think we should talk about what we're gonna do. And so we got on a conference call and we actually, before all of this happened, Mass Live canceled all of its, the remaining regular season road trips. So we had already taken a step, which means Tom 
canceled his trip to Memphis. So luckily, neither of us made that trip. But it was almost like, I almost felt really, really bad. Because he's got a family, he's got a kid, you know, and I almost screwed up and sent him to Memphis to be quarantined. So I was home. Uh, I saw that news on Wednesday night. And as soon as I saw it, uh, I knew I knew the league was going to shut down because we were talking about an indie. We're sitting there in a press conference room, six feet away from everybody. Uh, Scal and Brad Stevens are kind of joking, half joking about like being six feet away. And they did their pregame interview like at arm's length, and a bunch of the media were in there talking like, you know, the instant one of these guys gets tested positive for this, you can't. You have to quarantine the whole team. If you quarantine the whole team, they can't move for two weeks. The entire league has to shut down, which is what happened. So uh, I was not surprised at the the um, league's decision. And then beyond that, my reaction was like, crap, the Jazz were in town like a week before that, and I was there. So I start wondering like, okay, now how, do I get it? What, what happens next? So luckily I'm fine. And I've just kind of remained in basic isolation except for going to the, the grocery store, but just kind of trying to be safe. So it's a, a long answer for for uh, what you asked, but that, that, that's basically the situation in a nutshell. No, and it's interesting, too, because it, it kind of went from media members aren't allowed in the locker room to no fans to... This, the season's canceled. And just talk about that progression for you when you were kind of like, yeah, you know... The way this is going, it's one thing after another, and, yep, it, it, the season's probably going to be on the kibosh for a while. Was that kind of your thinking? Like, when was that moment for you? As far as when, when you the season might... Yeah, when you truly thought, you know, the, the season's going to be done. Well, I, I still don't think the season's going to be done. Like, I, I feel like, like my, my initial thought was you stop the regular season, you let this thing, everybody quarantines, you let this thing ride out, you test everybody, and then you start up for the playoffs again. Like, that was that was my thought from the beginning. Uh, I still think the NBA is going to do every possible thing to return. There's just too much money at stake. So they are going to exhaust every single possible option uh, for getting basketball back somehow, some way, to recoup whatever losses they've had. Because if they if they don't come back, then that has a serious, serious impact on the future of the NBA. It's not just a lost season. It's not just like, oh, man, I can't believe we don't have a champion in 2020. It's future salary cap. It's players who thought they were getting certain amounts of money are not. Players who thought they had jobs don't because the, the league is now operating under a different financial kind of framework. Uh, you know, the, the cap's supposed to be $115 million next year. You know, could it drop to, what, 108 $103, $100? And if, if teams that were, like a bunch of teams made moves to clear, let's say, 20 to $25 million and and think, okay, this year we've got, player ABC targeted, if all of a sudden they have $5 million in cap space, then not only do they not have those targeted players, they just gave up a bunch of guys that 
they might have kept had they not been trying to clear the cap space. And they would have gone in a different direction if they knew it was a $100 million cap instead of 115. So it's the ramifications when you really like dive deep are, are huge. So I think the NBA is, is really trying every possible creative outlet for bringing basketball back, which is why I'm not ready to say the season is canceled. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking if they can find assurances that these guys flying on private planes can get to a certain place that's been disinfected so they don't pick it up where they're staying and they can play the game without any fans, like they, they will try everything they can to do that. Well, and, and, I, and, I, and I do agree with you. I think they will try everything in their power to do that. But here's, I guess, where, 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 where my concern is, and I think where the issue comes in for me, is if, like, I, I think there's a very fine line. For example, right, Kevin Durant got coronavirus. It came out, like, er, earlier this week. And, and thankfully, Kevin Durant's not playing, and he's not expected to play. Or is that, that would be an issue, because you'd expect the Brooklyn Nets to be, a you know, a contender, per se. But, I mean... You have guys like LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, uh, Anthony Davis. They're all in uh, big uh, cities that are packed with a lot of people in L.A. You have people like James Harden and Russell Westbrook, big city Houston, uh, Luka Doncic, Dallas, Jason Tatum, Boston. Like, you have stars that are in these big cities. And if one of these guys gets it then I, 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 th- that are playing, I think that's going to be a huge problem for the NBA. I, I don't know how they would play. Well, that and that's, that's the challenge, right? Like, First and foremost, you have to figure out, like, we're, this is, and I want to be clear, that this is a, this is a sports discussion, so it, it comes with the caveat, obviously, our, our nations, our world's health and well-being is paramount, so they're not going to do anything to risk that, and they shouldn't, like, I, I am a basketball junkie, and I cover the team for a living, but... I'm not so desperate and so self-centered that I'm thinking, you must do this. Like, I'm not saying this is what they should do and they have to do it. Like, if, if these guys are at risk of going places and catching it and spreading it, then obviously you can't do that. What I'm saying is, if, these, if the NBA can find a way to get, say, Austin, the Celtics, to Houston to face the Rockets and get them on a, uh, a bus that's been disinfected, a plane that's been disinfected, a hotel in Houston or wherever they're staying that's clear and it's clean, and, and to the arena to play a game under these sterile, sterile circumstances, then then yeah, they, I think if they can figure out a way to do that, then they're going to try to do that. But if there's a risk of Marcus Smart going to Houston and going to a club while he's in Houston, like if those guys don't pay attention to this stuff, then, then that, that's going to be an issue. It's going to take everybody going to extreme circumstances to, to do this. And I will add that there is value to the nation in bringing some sort of sport back because it is a distraction. It is something to take our minds off of something and it gives people a, 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 an outlet to focus. So 
entertainment, some sort of live diversion is important to the country. Uh, so it's a matter of what is, is it going to be the NBA? Is it going to be a different sport? Is it going to be something completely different? Will it be the big three? I don't know, but if, if the NBA can find a way to do this, do it safely and not compromise anything in terms of flattening the curve, then they'll try it. If any one aspect of this does jeopardize this, then they shouldn't do it. When do you think we'll see NBA games again? Because you think eventually we will. When do you think we'll see NBA games, in your personal opinion? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, it's, it's now, what, March? Late March. You give it three months. Uh, so, end of June, beginning of July. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we got a July-August kind of summer NBA um, so, in some form. Maybe a, a, a quick kind of five-game end of the regular season with, you know, certain teams playing each other with playoff implications and uh, some sort of abbreviated playoffs where it's best of three first round, best of five moving forward, and maybe a best of seven finals. Um, I, I, can see, I can see something like that being possible. If it, if it does happen, I would expect it about three, three months from now or so. So if this does happen in this, in this alternate world, let's say this does happen, th- th- that changes the NBA schedule forever, correct? Or, or at least for, for, well, the, or at least for it, the time it being. Change it, it, it would change it, at, at, I would say at the least, it would change it for probably, I would say even maybe three or four years. Because after that, if they come back and do July and August and do a two-month, like, you still have to have an off-season. And you can say, well, you just had three months off. We're going to do a month and a half off season, and we're going to come back. And that still puts you at what November? That they can they can maybe shorten the impact of it if they want. If they want to get back onto the same schedule, they can do a condensed off season. They can do like a seventy game regular season next year, and then kind of figure out moving forward and then you'd have like one or two future seasons impacted but um, it's it's possible that the NBA takes this opportunity to reevaluate everything and says maybe we do want to start in December maybe this starting in October uh, is is not how we want to do it we want to play through the summer and we you know instead of competing directly with hockey and football and all that stuff how about a summer where we're playing, you know, we're, we're playing against baseball and we're giving people an, op, uh, an option against uh, uh, just one sport. But I say that saying, like, well, then what happens to the WNBA? Because the WNBA runs during the, the NBA offseason. And part of the reason why the WNBA runs during the summer is because a lot of these women play overseas when like a normal basketball season is going on. So the WNBA would be impacted. Do they change that season or do they play that during the summer and just have men's and women's basketball going on at the same time? Like it's, there's a lot to consider besides like, Oh, let's just shift the NBA schedule. So uh, I think the, the best case scenario is two seasons could be impacted, but I could see, I could see it forever changing as well. It's, it's so hard to tell right now. 
Okay, now I, I do kind of want to shift back to Corona for just a second. I just want to ask you as somebody that covers the Celtics, how do you think the team has kind of handled this whole ordeal? Well, I mean, the team's been very quiet during this whole ordeal. Um, as far as I know, everybody's been kind of quarantined. Everybody's just been laying low. Uh, there's no pictures of these guys. Like, oh, I saw Temple Walker at the mall or something like that. Like, there's nothing like that going on. All of these guys seem to be just kind of doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, obviously, Marcus Smart tested positive, but he says that, you know, with the whole, you know, coming back from Milwaukee and, and everything, he's been, he's been isolated. He just happened to have it. So I don't, I don't think any of these guys are, are breaking any of the rules or conventions. The team itself has, seems to have found a way to test all of the players. And uh, other than that, everything's been quiet. I haven't heard from Brad Stevens. I haven't heard from anybody in management. Um, everybody's just kind of laying low until, like, the next, you know, whatever. Like, I still, I still don't think we have all the test results yet. So uh, everything's been quiet. The, the only, only other thing the Celtics have done is committed to paying their own part-time staff, which is a small staff, uh, because they don't, they don't own the building. They don't run the concessions. So that's... They're paying their own like statisticians and you know entertainers and ball boys and locker room attendants through the regular season as if the regular season was going to continue, um, but which is good. And then, but that that's it. Other than that, it's been pretty quiet. Now, John, I do want to ask you this, right? So. Before Corona hit, Jason Tatum was kind of playing out of his mind. Uh, I believe he had like t- 10 or 15 uh, streak of games where he was uh, scoring 30-plus games. There's the game in L.A. where he just plays fabulous against LeBron James and Anthony Davis. What do you think has been the biggest reason for Jason Tatum's ascension? Well, the biggest reason? Um, it's hard to say what the biggest reason is because there's so many factors that have gone into it I think one first of all obviously is the work that he put in like he's obviously put in a lot of work in the offseason and it has specifically changed his shot profile where he's eliminating a lot of the mid-range shots he's taking a lot more threes he's attacking the rim more so like first and foremost it's his own recognition of these are the things I needed to do to change my game, and this, this is this is how I need to play to succeed. So that's that's at the top. But beyond that, I think it's important that he is playing alongside Kemba Walker, uh, and like I think Kemba is a, a huge reason for not only Tatum but Jalen Brown because. Kemba, I've been comparing him in a lot of ways to the 2008 Celtics when they acquired Ray Allen and Kevin Burnett and, and with Paul Pierce there. The, and the direct comparison is that all three of those guys were sick of losing. Uh, two of those guys came in from losing situations. They could never have any real play, playoff success. And by the time they got to Boston, they were like, you know what? I'm going to do kind of whatever it takes. If I have to sacrifice some, I, that's fine with me. And Kemba is coming in, it came in with that same attitude and has taken a willing step back. 
he wanted his usage rate to decrease, and it did. He wanted other guys to step up, and they have. And it's it's a lot of this is Kemba's encouragement of those guys to go and be the stars that they can be. So I think Tatum getting that confidence from Kemba to go out there and try to cook, and, and to a lesser degree, but almost as important, Gordon Hayward, who is, is very willing to pass and make the right play and not focus on his own offense. I think those factors allow Tatum to kind of feel comfortable going after his own offense and, and figuring out, like, kind of like exploring the studio space, if you will, when it comes to his own, his own game. He's 22, and he still hasn't developed a fully formed game yet. And once he was named an all-star, it almost was like a confidence boost that it was like a nitro boost in the car. Like, he just like, ah, now I belong. And he just took off. The instant he was named an all-star, he just took off. So all of those things came together to, to kind of create, like, this next level of Jason Tatum. Now, with Kimba specifically, do you think it was more of just his leadership, or do you think it was more of play on the court? I think both. I, mean, I think they, they got to know each other at Team USA, and it's Kemba's just a, a positive guy. You know, he's his attitude infects the whole locker room. Like he's out there just like, he's chill, he's smiling, he's happy, he's encouraging people. Like, that permeates the locker room. So that's a leadership thing. But then the play on the court where he can take a step back and is willing to pass and he's not holding the ball too much trying to, like, forget about the Kyrie locker room stuff or whatever we want to say about Kyrie uh, as, you know, on a, on a leadership level. Kyrie on the floor dribbles the ball a lot. And he can be special when he does that, but he also isn't moving the ball or passing the ball very often unless his own line to the rim is cut off. So the difference here is that Kemba isn't doing that, and he, he moves the ball and is willing to kind of like not even touch the ball or, or just be a, a facilitator for a few possessions and you know make a, make a cut that draws defenses not for his own uh, trying to get the ball, but making a cut just so a defender can pay attention to him so the guy with the ball now suddenly has an opening, like that type of thing on the court uh, helps everybody, helps helps these young guys. So uh, I think it's definitely a combination of both. Now, and, and uh, you mentioned Kyrie, and you said you like we can make whatever we want about Kyrie's leadership. But when you talk about Kim and you talk about the impact he's made with Jason Tatum, both on and off the court, that does you know leave some to wonder you know the detriment that Kyrie might have had. I just want to know from your perspective. For somebody that covered the team, how much do you think Kyrie actually did negatively affect what went on in Boston last year? Well, I mean, he, he did for sure. I mean, I, I don't know what percentage. I mean, some people say 100%. Uh, I don't think it was 100%, but I, th- I think, you know, there was a, a big reason for – he was a big reason for that. Uh, but there were other factors. Like, the Celtics also last year had, I think, too many guys of equal talent. And that, that created a situation where too many guys thought they should have the ball when it was time to score a basket. And instead of moving the ball when you needed a bucket, you had six guys who could all be like, all right, we're struggling. I'm going to go ISO 
and get a bucket and, and, and pull us out of this. And if that person couldn't do it, the next person tried to do it. And it really bogged down the offense. So that was a problem. Uh, the, but the, the Kyrie impact, there are, there are guys on the team that still like Kyrie, so even to this day. So it's not like he was such a monster in the locker room that it was uh, – that, that it, it destroyed everybody. But there are guys that clearly don't like Kyrie now. And I think the – his kind of – you know, the young guys don't know what they're doing. Uh, young guys don't know what it takes to win thing kind of rubbed some people the wrong way because they, they in the previous season, were – basically one bad quarter away from going to the NBA Finals. And Kyrie did win a championship, but to sit there and be like, these guys don't know what it takes, is a little bit of a, a little bit of a, you know, a, a kick in the groin uh, for for guys like Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum or something like that. We're like, uh, dude, we, we just, we, we just won without you. Like, don't come in and, and tell us we don't know how to win. Because we did it without you. So there was definitely that element to it. And then as the season went on, Kyrie did kind of separate himself from time to time. And that was a bit of a struggle. So I feel feel like, I don't know, you want to put a percentage on it? Half of the problem was Kyrie. And then half was kind of spread. Like if it was a pie chart, it would be like one line straight down the middle. The line to the the whole side to the left is Kyrie. And then you split the other half of the pie chart into – you know, the, some of the other things I was saying, you know, coaching, you know, Brad Stevens not really uh, taking control of the situation, young guys trying to do too much and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, yeah, I'll go with that. You think that may be too part of the issue? And I, was, and I, and I, and I kind of thought about it because everybody always thinks, in any sport, like, like not just basketball, but particularly for this conversation, basketball, the more talent you have, the better you are. But, you know... Sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes it's the system. It's how people get along. Uh, it's human interactions because it's still a workplace, right? So they, they got to game seven without Kyrie. And just because you add Kyrie into that equation, it doesn't necessarily mean you're supposed to be 20% better than that team that got to game seven. Right. Like, there's – we all – I'd say we all because not everybody, but, like, a lot of us – there's a, a very easy mistake to make. We believe that progress is linear, and, well, they did this. They're adding these guys, so they will do this much more. Like, they almost made it to the finals. Now they're adding Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. they got to make the finals. Hell, we might win a championship. And it doesn't take a lot of things into account. It doesn't take a person's psyche into account. It doesn't take... Jason Brown and Jason Tatum being 22 and 21 at the, at the time, or 21 and 20 at the time, uh, kind of feel themselves a little bit. It doesn't take into account that, you know, Gordon Hayward had a second surgery that cost him his summer, and now his first, between the injury at the beginning of the 17-18 season and the beginning of the 18-19 season, he hadn't played five-on-five basketball. But that that training camp was his first chance to play five-on-five basketball. That hurt the team so much. It hurt the team a lot because the Celtics knew that Gordon Hayward having to had to be kind of close to his former self or had to be the best he could possibly be for them to have a chance at the playoffs. 
or, or a chance in the playoffs. And the only way to get him there was to play him the whole season. And the only way for him to to really progress was to get the ball and, and, and try to work through some things. Meanwhile, he's taking shots away from Brown and Tatum and Terry Rozier and, and other guys, and, and, and they are, are starting to get resentful. So that, that becomes part of that chemistry and things that we didn't consider. And Kyrie uh, having a change of heart and, and for whatever reason not liking Boston anymore, even though he committed to the team at the beginning of the season, like that whole thing no one saw coming because it, you know, he said at the beginning of the season, I, I, I plan on coming back. So there's a lot that you don't take into account. And, and yeah, you can say we've got X amount of talent. But like I said before, if you've got equal talent, you've got nine guys that are all just as good, that's, that's not going to be a great team. Unless they all do very specific things differently, then that's not going to be a good team. To be great at basketball, you need two or three guys that are your clear one, two, three. And you need a bunch of guys who are good, but who are good at specific things and understand, like, okay, I'm a shooter. I'm a great shooter, but I'm a shooter. So I'm going to take open shots and then otherwise move the ball and set the screen to ball. Another guy is a ball handler, a passer. But that's your job. And if he understands it like that, I'm a great ball handler, I'm a great passer, but... I'm not the guy when it's we're down three and there's 45 seconds left. I'm not the guy that they want to take me a shot. It's one of these guys. And so, like I said, like the equal talent, all of those guys, they all thought they could be the guy to take that shot. And when you're the guy, when there's nine guys that think they can take that shot, eight guys are going to be pissed that they didn't take that shot. And especially if that, that one guy misses. So the Celtics, and Danny Ainge has admitted to this. Like they, they acquired a lot of talent, and it looked good. And, and you look at it on paper, and you say, this, "This should be a good team." Um, I think a lesson that I learned is the, the construction of the team and the hierarchy in an NBA team, especially, is is super important. That was a major problem last year. And would you say now Jason Tatum's ascended at the top of that hierarchy? I mean, if he's not at the top, he's like. 1A, right? Like I would say right now he has, but you know, it's it's not like if Kemba comes down and, and has a pull-up jumper uh, at 19 seconds on the shot clock, like no one's going to get mad at that. Like if, if Kemba's open, comes off the pick and roll and takes a jumper, jumper, um, that's that's okay. So it's like the one 1A, um, but yeah, he's he's ascended to like. One of one of your your number one options for sure. And also, too, do you think those are the play of Tatum recently? Because there there was a point last year where people were talking about why not trade the whole young Boston core to get Anthony Davis, you pair Anthony Davis with Kyrie. Right. Do you think the kind of the play of Tatum, and even in guys like Jalen Brown too, you think it's validated like Danny Ainge being you know held firm and saying you know we're gonna kind of still do this organically. We want to keep these young guys. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely has validated his approach. Um, and his approach has been not just like, we're going to do this organically. It's if we're going to give up a player like this, there has to be certainty that we're going to keep the player that we're getting. So was he willing to 
trade Jason Tatum? Of course he was. But he was not willing to trade Jason Tatum for a rental and a guy that said, no, for real, I'm not staying in Boston. It's not one of those deals where you trade me, it trades me, and I'm going to have a change of heart. I do not want to play in Boston. So that that message that they sent, that kind of felt like he's he's going to go where he goes, but then after that, there's no guarantee that he stays. I can't give up Jalen Brown, who I have very high, uh, who I value very highly. I can't do that. So in all of those moves, Jimmy Butler, uh, whoever else came along, because I've lost track. Those those moves. If it were long term, I think Ainge could have maybe done them. But this this shows like if you value these guys, then that kind of that path of if this thing doesn't work with Kyrie, we could always do the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum timeline. Like that that worked out very well for for Ainge. So, and I do want to ask you this: what, What's your opinion on this? Because you know. You, you could say, well, we'll never know about what Boston uh, did if they, for example, they got a Kawhi Leonard for Jalen Brown. But, you know, Toronto did that. Toronto won a championship. I mean, they're playing really good right now, actually, uh, before the season got canceled. And they won't win a championship this year in all likelihood, probably not. But, you know, they got that one championship. Do you think, though, that one championship is worth potentially now knowing you're going to be kind of an NBA purgatory for a little bit now? Well, I mean, the goal is to win a championship. So, like, if you could guarantee a championship, you say, well, this is going to be a championship move. You make this move, you're going to win a championship. Then you, you probably do it. But the, the problem is they, there is no guarantee of that. And Toronto was in a different situation. Toronto, if we recall correctly, is, well, at that point, was in a, well, we've got no choice. We're right about ready to blow it up. They traded to Rosen, and and that was because LeBron had just embarrassed the Raptors in that previous postseason. The Raptors were again a team that was great in the regular season, got to the postseason, and sucked. Uh, they were ready to tear the entire thing down, and so a wild swing on an unknown was something that was that made sense for them. It was just basically a screw it move. We're, we're, we got to get rid of DeRozan, who was like an iconic guy there. You're separating two best friends in him and Kyle Lowry. And you're saying, whatever, whatever, let's just do it. Because, and the thinking at the time from everybody outside was, Look, you make this move. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you're going to blow it up anyway. So if if uh, Kawhi leaves, you can just sell off the pieces and, and start over at that point. You're just delaying your rebuild, but you know you're heading towards a rebuild. So screw it. And then, obviously, Kawhi changes everything. The types of players that they had there are different than the types of players the Celtics had. So you don't, like, that's why I said there's no guarantee that it would have worked the same way, but the players there kind of coalesced around the whole thing. They coalesced around this, like, kind of screw it attitude, like, hey, nobody believes in us. You know, that's why we they got rid of Damar. Let's just, let's just come together and, and do this. Now, it worked out great for them because after Kawhi left, 
you now have Siakam stepping up and becoming a, a, a star-level player. Lowry is a little healthier, so he's playing great. Other guys are stepping up. Now, you, you end up with Nurse, who, you know, that, that move was like, that, that worked out perfectly. Um, so they've continued. They, they've kind of gone from rebuilding time. Like, this, this rebuild kind of happened, like, instantly in a snap. So it, it worked out great for them. Um, they were probably the only team in a position to do what they did, to say it doesn't matter if he leaves. Um, and to have players to make a deal that could kind of make the other team happy. So it's it's two, two very different situations. And, John, also, do you think part of it, too, and I also wonder this, too, like, and I, and I don't know Danny H because I'm not in his head, but... You have one franchise, the Celtics have won 18 championships, right? They have 18? 17. 17, okay, 17. They have 17, one off. 17. Toronto had one none at that point. Danny H could be looking at it from the perspective of, if I think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can potentially get me three championships six years from now, and we might not, or I could risk that and only get one, and the guy's going to leave, and Toronto's just like, well... We haven't won one, so it doesn't really matter because <laughs> we still might never win one. Right. It's totally different situations for sure. Like the Celtics' history plays into it. I mean, you're you're trying. You can't take when you're Danny Ainge these huge mega wild swings that that fans tend to want to take uh, because there's a plan, and if they're sitting there saying. Look, we've got Tatum and Brown. We think Tatum's going to be special. We think Brown's going to be a potential All Star. You can't just you can't just give those guys up for a, a, a just a, like a shot in the dark. You know, you don't you don't give those guys up for a coin at the batting cage, take a few hacks, and then leave. You're building something with these guys. So yeah, he's definitely got a long term plan. And and the key with those with that long term plan is. You still had Jalen Brown under his rookie rookie scale up until this current season. His extension doesn't kick into next season. You still have Jason Tatum on his rookie scale contract next season. His extension doesn't kick in until the following season. So you have the potential to use your salary cap to spend money to build around two guys who are making rookie money and build these contracts out so you have guys under contract for three and four years as these guys hit their extensions. So you now have built a, a team for three or four years that could have extended uh, an extended run of contending. You know, like take advantage of the time these guys are cheap because they're going to get super expensive. And once they get super expensive, it's harder to build around them. Then you have to get the ring chasers in, and you have to use your exceptions and stuff. But now, look, you've got Kemba under contract for three or four years after this. Uh, well, including this. This should be a four-year contract. Uh, so he's under contract for three more years. And it's max money, but, like, you've got him. And you can play around with Gordon Hayward, and he can be, like, a very high-end role player type of guy if he opts out, if you can talk to him and have him opt out and sign a four or five year deal after this long term, lock him in. Now you've got him set and you still haven't had Tatum's extension kick in yet. You can 
still go out and use whatever ex- uh, exceptions you have to kind of build around that, and you're still not hitting like the tax or anything like that. So all of that matters, and it's it's a lot of that stuff that fans don't take into account. They don't take account into account salary cap and team building and taxes. You know, in short, Wick Grossbeck's going to pay the tax, but not if he doesn't have to. Like if you can if you can avoid that for a year or two, that's going to save him a ton of money two years from now, three years from now. So, like, all of that matters. Where fans are like, yeah, go get Anthony Davis. Go get Kawhi Leonard. What the hell? Why not? Like, all of this matters. You you really, that's why it takes so long to build a team in the NBA because you have all of these external factors. You're not just setting your 2K settings to trade everybody and you put a good team together and you just deal with it. Like, it, there, there's a lot of on the business side that comes into play. Now, what I do want to ask you, too, is when you talk about, you know, fans always think they can make, you know, fake trades, kind of like it's uh, NBA 2K. Everybody thinks, oh, you just bring all these players together and it works all the time. Uh, why don't you think that Boston, because you did mention that Danny Age maybe kind of saw the writing on the wall with Kyrie Irving potentially leaving. Why don't you think he did not trade him at the trade deadline for another player? Well, I think I think they still had hope that he would stay. Um that I mean I think that would have that would have been a, a wild indication of a lot of things like they if they after all of that decided they were going to trade him at the trade deadline then I think the the red flags would have gone up to any team because he's part of their plan right and if they, all of a sudden he's not part of their plan the other team's like why are you trading him if I'm a GM if you're a GM and you're you're looking at the Celtics gave up pieces to get Kyrie. Danny Ainge has publicly said that he wants Kyrie to stick around long-term. Kyrie said he's going to stick around long-term. And there were these slight little rumblings there. If you're a GM and Danny Ainge says, hey, uh, what would you give me for Kyrie? Wouldn't your first question be like, why are you giving up Kyrie? Like, that, that what's broken? What, what's wrong here? And that, that, I don't know if you can get the right value for that. But I still think at that point the Celtics were hopeful. At that point, Danny Ainge was still saying, like, he was making his wedding analogy. Like, hey, we're still, we still have a date set for the wedding. We're still, you know, planning on marching down that aisle. Um, so I think he was hopeful that he could figure something out. I think by the end of the season, that's when the writing was on the wall. So uh, I, I think the Celtics probably should have made a trade, but I, I think trading Terry Rozier would have been the better play uh, at that point. But... They kept Terry Rozier because they were afraid of Kyrie leaving. You know, so they kind of really, they were stuck, it feels like. You, you couldn't trade Kyrie because he's, he's your plan. He's your guy. You've built, you've built this thing around him. You want to trade Tyree Rozier, but you kind of can't because you know that Kyrie's flaky, and you might, you might need Terry Rozier next year. Um, and it worked out that they did because if it wasn't for them keeping Terry Rozier, they couldn't have done the sign-and-trade for Kemba, probably, so... It was, you know, there there was some something good came out of it. Now, and I do ask Greg because this Boston Celtics team—they're pretty young. Uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum—they got to the conference finals in their first and second year, respectively. I think Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown was a rookie, got to the conference finals too. Actually, uh, do you think these guys actually believe they can beat LA in a playoff series? The Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks. Do they believe it? 
yell. I'm sure they believe it. Um, I don't know if I believe it, but they do. I mean, they're a very confident group of guys. You know, they've beaten the Lakers ready. They, they destroyed the Lakers. They, you know, played the Clippers really, really well. Um, and they, they beat them right. They beat them in overtime in Boston. So, like, they've got wins over all of these teams. They've, they've really matched up well. They've beaten Milwaukee. They've beaten Toronto. They've beaten L.A., both L.A.'s. Um, they haven't beaten Houston. That's a problem. Um, they have they have one win over Philly, but they feel good about their ability, especially when they're playing their best. Like when the Celtics are playing exactly the way they want to play, that's that's when they, they cause a lot of troubles trouble for the uh, for these other teams. So I would say their confidence level is pretty high. And my last question for you, John, is this. Can you just give a moment or a funny story about the team this year? Oh, jeez. Um, a moment or a funny story. Well, my favorite moment was Marcus Smart with the broom when the ball got stuck. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but in back-to-back games, so in, in one game... Somebody shot the ball, bounced up, they got stuck at, at the top of the backboard, like between the backboard and like the camera back there. So Marcus Smart was on the floor, and he went behind the, the, the stanchion and pulled out a broom and knocked it loose. And everybody kind of gave him a big applause. It was kind of funny. The next game, it happened again. And he was on the bench. And so it happened in front of the bench, and he... He was sitting there, and it was Brad Stevens actually sent him out, go 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 knock it off. So he gets up off the bench, grabs the broom, knocks it off. Huge ovation and MVP chance in in the in the garden. So everybody MVP MVP, and it was just a hilarious moment. The bench loved it. Brad loved it, uh, and it was it was not only funny, but after the game, I asked him about it. And he took it, like, seriously because he said, you know, it wasn't that long ago where people weren't going to give me those chances. They wanted, they wanted me out of here. And he took it as, like, how, uh, a symbol of how far he's come in the city as, you know, a beloved athlete and, and figure in the city of Boston. So um, that whole moment was funny, but the way Smart took it really stuck with me because uh, I thought, you know, this – he, he's really, like, thinking about this. He's, he's, he put a lot of thought into it, and it, it really means something to him when the crowd is behind him like that. And, you know, Marcus Smart's an emotional guy, and he gives everything on the floor, and, and, and that's, I think that was, that was a very meaningful moment for, for him, for sure. John, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. And once again, I want to thank John Corrales for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And thank you folks for tuning in to this episode, the 141st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. <laughs>